Welcome back to Sports Cube. I'm your host, Daniel Shalom, bringing you the latest in the sports world. And we have a lot to get into today. First off, we have an interview with Team USA handball player, ABA Udo Udoma. We talked to him about his international playing career and what he's been up to during the quarantine. Additionally, I talked to our NFL insider, Joe Paula about Patrick Mahomes' new deal and the MLB's 60-game schedule is out. All this and much more coming up. Stay with us. And now we welcome back in Joe Stapala, our NFL analyst. And Joe, I got to talk to you. This is crazy. Breaking news from Adam Schefter that the Chiefs are expected to give Patrick Mahomes a $400 million plus deal over 10 years. What are your thoughts on this? Is this a good deal for the Chiefs? Wow, Daniel. This deal is absolutely nuts. 10 years, $40 million plus. This deal will go through the year 2031, and it'll be absolutely crazy. The amount of money, the amount of years, I, I don't even know what it'll be doing tomorrow. Uh, meanwhile, the fact 2031, it's crazy. It is a significant amount of money, and it will take up a lot of the Chiefs cap space. But Joe, for you personally, do you think it's worth it for this Chiefs team? Definitely, Daniel. I don't know. I don't know about the ten-year deal. That might be a bit overkill. No, knowing that he is only he is he is only twenty-four years old, and he is a young, developing player. He has the he has the skills of a veteran, but he still has the mindset of a young player. So to put him with all this pressure, I don't know if that'll really benefit him in the future. And, of course, he still has a lot of his players around him. Do you think that the Chiefs now make a push for another Super Bowl trying to go back-to-back this year? I could definitely see that, Daniel. The Chiefs are bringing 20 out of their 22 players on the offensive side of the ball back. Um, It's a great team, great playmakers, Tyreek Hill, uh, Travis Kelsey, uh, Mecole Hardman, great team. The other teams are getting better around them in the AFC. The Ravens uh, added more defensive power to to their team, and the AFC is improving. The NFC is improving, so it'll definitely be an interesting year next year. Yeah, it should be, but I want to talk a little bit now about MLB, of course. Their 60-game season is releasing at 6 p.m. today, and we know that the Yankees will be playing the World Series defending Nationals on opening day, but Joe... For you, you're a Mets fan. Do you see your New York Mets hopping into the playoffs in a shortened season? I could definitely see them making the playoffs, the playoffs, Daniel. Maybe sneaking into, maybe getting first in their division, maybe getting a wild card. I don't know about that yet, but I could definitely see them making the playoffs. They have a great team. Jeff McNeil, Pete Alonzo, a great team around them. Jacob DeGrom, the Cy Young winner. Um, they have the, all the tools to get that to get there, but it'll all be about um, getting them all together and making it happen. And then going across town now to the New York Yankees, of course, they signed Garrett Cole. They want him to perform. How do you think he's going to perform in a shortened season where he's not going to get as many starts? And he and the Yankees are really going to have to work for it if they really want this uh, World Series ring. Daniel, this might even be better for Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole will be able to show his willpower in this 60-game season. He'll probably have about 12 starts, 
and let's see what he can do in those 12 starts. Maybe he has a 1.2 ERA, and maybe we see that he's the real deal. Maybe we, he has a 6 ERA, and, and the Yankees reconsider, oh, was this really the best pickup? I mean, it's going to be totally down to how he performs. But, you know, when we go to MLB games, we go for the fun aspect of it. Do you think that aspect of the game is still going to be there, saying that every single game played now counts for the playoffs? Daniel, it'll it'll be more it'll be more exciting. We're, all the fans will be on their seat when when it's a hundred and sixty four game season. If your team loses a game, nobody really thinks it's the biggest deal. When it's a sixty game season and your team loses, you're like, oh, this might this might be a deal breaker. This might this might prevent the team from going to the playoffs. Yeah, I mean. We're really going to have to see how it goes. But, Joe, thanks for being here. We really appreciate your input. I Thank you, Daniel. Thanks. And now our interview with ABA Udo Udoma. Before this, let me tell you about Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast as well with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And now a very special guest joins us on the Sports Cube podcast. He's a Team USA handball player and recently won the Southern California Beach Handball Championships. ABA Udo Udoma, welcome to the show. Hey, appreciate the intro, Dan. How you doing? I'm great. I'm great. So just to start off, how's your quarantine been and uh, how have you been staying fit during this tough time? Uh, uh, good question. So as of this interview... I was supposed to be at a world championship with uh, my beach guys in Italy right now. Obviously, that got postponed. And so, end of February, we had won. Uh, my club team, Rip Beach Handball Club, had won the Mexican title. And I just returned to the States. And then Corona progressively canceled everything. So, March, April, May has been me just being home uh, alone, training for the most part. I've, I've always been pretty self sufficient when it comes to to training and uh so it's just a lot of at home workouts over the past several months and we're waiting for when our world championships is going to be rescheduled and to not necessarily know when we're going to compete again has us all in that state of limbo so to speak Uh, as i said we're actually as of this interview like right now we should be competing at a world championship and that's what we were gearing up towards but now it's just generally staying in shape, uh, just at home and, and training with different things and just trying to be ready for whenever we ultimately get back to competing. And before we dive into the world championships, I want to talk a little bit more about the tournament you just got back from in Mexico. What was it like not only to go down to Mexico and win, but also at the same time, win the MVP in that tournament all while representing your club handball team? And it's always nice to win just generally speaking, and to, to lead a team and to be acknowledged for your performances, tournament MVP, uh, you can't ask for anything more. And 
you know, for us, we had played in that same competition in 2019 and got eliminated in the semifinal. So to be able to go back and avenge uh, that loss, we actually, the team that eliminated us in 2019 was the team we played in the final and we beat them. So it was just a nice uh, avenging tour for lack of a better descriptor. And you know, for the guys, you know, we, we played well. And obviously we made some mistakes, but to have what makes up a good chunk of our national team on the same club team and be able to play together and have that be not just a competition that is tough for us to win, but to be a competition that prepared us for this upcoming world championship in Italy and to win it. It had us all on a high and you know, personally I felt good with uh, my role on the team, how I led the team and obviously to take home an MVP. Uh, this was testament to how well I played. So it was just an amazing experience all around. And also, what was it like saying that you guys had that momentum? What was it like for all that momentum to just come crashing down once you learned that uh, everything would be canceled? When the IHF, International Handball Federation, pulled the plug on our world championship in Italy. And so we had seen the NBA and the NFL and all these other sports leagues get canceled. And you hear in the news that Italy is one of the countries, one of the countries that is hit hardest by this. And so we all have to assume that we're playing until something's canceled. So throughout April and, you know, the beginning of May before things got canceled, we were all preparing as if we were going to play in a world championship. We're looking at the situation in the world. It's like, there's no way they're going to be able to host a tournament in Italy, but until things get formally canceled, you, you have to prepare as if those things are still going to happen. And then when we got the official news in May, uh, just about a month and a half before when the world championship would have been, we, we all expected it. I think it would have been a different story if it came really suddenly at the beginning of March, uh, just kind of throughout March and throughout April. It's like, well, we can assume it's not going to happen, but let's just prepare like it is. And once the plug was finally pulled in May, I think we were able to like, gradually come to terms with, this is something that's affecting the whole world. This is something that's affecting sports. This isn't something that we're just going to gloss over really quickly. Um, and then ultimately when that decision happened, obviously we love to compete and to have a competition take away, be taken away from us is something that nobody takes to particularly well. I think on our end of things, we're just trying to make the most of, of this downtime, put some more time into the IQ side of the game since we aren't specifically preparing for particular opponents and we aren't paradizing our training to get ready for a particular competition. It's just putting more of a premium on the IQ side of things and on film. And you know, for us, we're doing more Zoom calls than we normally do. It's just making sure that while it sucks not to play, we're not throwing away you know, this time. We're still doing something that's going to contribute to us ultimately being better players and a better team. And uh, more now back to your high school career. You, of course, a four-sport varsity letter winner in uh, wrestling, tennis, football, and track. Why handball? It's a really good question. So I saw handball for the first time in the Beijing Olympics, and that was the summer before my junior year of high school. And since the Olympics were in Beijing, games were generally on like 2, 3 a.m. in the morning, I happened to just be flipping through some channels and I flipped to 
what I believe was an Iceland versus Croatia game. And like, right as I flipped to the channel, a wing jumped and scored. I was like, what just happened? It, ca- it caught my attention. And before I knew it, the game was over and I'd watched this whole handball game. And I had no idea what it was because it looked like basketball, but it wasn't quite basketball. It kind of looked like water polo, but there's no water. And I, I didn't know what the sport was, but I was just so captivated by it. I stayed the rest of that game. At the end of the game, they mentioned it was handball. And so any other game I could find during the Beijing Olympics, uh, I watched of, of handball. And I was like, man, this sport's so cool. Uh, I, I want to I play it myself. So I did a Google search. I was like, where can I play handball? And I'm not sure if I mentioned, but I went to high school in a suburb of Portland, Oregon called Lake Oswego. If you know the name Kevin Love, it's his hometown. And there was an adult handball club, the Portland Sasquatch, that trained about a 25-minute drive from where I was living. I found them on Google. I sent them an email. said, hey, uh, I'm a student at this high school. I've played these sports and, you know, varsity tennis player, da-da-da-da. I don't know if I can play, if you guys have a youth team. I didn't know what the handball situation was in the United States at all. I just sent them an email asking if there's an opportunity for me to play can I play? And they said, yes, you know, we train every Sunday at Aloha High School, which is about a 25 minute drive from my house. And the cool thing was, is that they train on the weekend. So I was playing my main school sports during the week. And then on Sundays, my mom would drive me out to Aloha and I got to learn handball with them. It was an adult club. And so I'm this young 15 year old kid, but granted they're all older guys who weren't in the greatest of shape. So I was able to at least cherry pick and just outrun guys. And then I kind of learned the rest of the game through watching them. And I did that my junior and senior year of high school. Uh, Upon graduation, I decided to go to the one school in what was then the Pac-10, now the Pac-12, that had a handball club because I wanted to be a part of my life. And after my second year playing at Oregon State, there was talk about a new national team coach, a new national team residency program. And open tryouts that were held once a month. It was the second Saturday of every month at the Colorado Springs Olympic Training Center. And I was a younger guy. I finished high school when I was 16. And so when I was done with my second year of of university, I was 18. And I was like, oh, if I can maybe make a national team before I turn 21, I thought it was beyond the realm of what was possible to make a senior national team. But I was like, hey, maybe there isn't too much competition to make a U21 team before I turn 21. I can't imagine there are that many American handball players under 21, right? And so I got done with finals, flew out that June. It was actually June of 2013. Flew down to the Colorado Springs Olympic Training Center for a tryout. And there's a new national team head coach, Javier Garcia Cuesta, who who saw me at the tryout. He assumed it's French or from some other foreign country because no American would be playing handball. No young American would be playing handball. I was like, no, I'm American. I, I got started with the Portland club about four years ago and you know, I'm playing at Oregon state. And I just want to see if I can make the U21 team. And he was like, U21? No, we're gonna have a senior national team camp at the end of summer. Come out. I want to see how you do against the senior guys. So I trained throughout summer, uh, went to Lake Placid, uh, end of August, 2013. I thought I played terribly. And in my exit interview with the coach, he said, you have to work on this, 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 and this, but welcome to Team USA. And I made the move into the residency program the following January. Got my first cap 
in Brazil, my first international cap in Brazil the following June. And that was six years ago, which is crazy to think about. And everything that's happened since I've been a handball player is a whole other story. But as far as how I got into handball and how I got into playing for Team USA, that, that's my story. And then I got to assume, although I might be wrong, during your times where you're just with the Portland club, I got to assume it was mostly indoor. And then how did you transition to, uh, to beach, start out with beach handball? No, it's, it's a good question. So I, I just, like you, you're right, indoor handball from when I started in 08 to, to 2015. And I, I didn't even know beach handball was a thing until 2014. And in, two, in 2015, we're trying to qualify for the Rio Olympics with the indoor national team. In March, we have a competition against Uruguay for the last spot in the 2015 Pan American Games. And we lost to Uruguay, so we got eliminated from real contention in March of 2015. The following month, there was an annual beach handball tournament called the American Open Beach Handball Championships that was held about a four-hour drive from where our national team was based. And I couldn't make it the previous year, but this year, you know, we're done with real qualification. We're not playing for anything on the indoor side of things. Let's at least do this fun you know, weekend beach handball competition. And I tried to watch games on YouTube because I didn't really know beach handball versus indoor handball. I'd only played indoor handball to that point. So I tried to watch games on YouTube and I saw that you did 360s and alley-oops. And so there was a little beach volleyball court in the apartment complex I was living in near uh, where we trained for the national team. And I'd go out there and I'd practice my 360 to prepare for this tournament. And we went down, it was April of... 2015, we went down to this competition and the team that I played on ended up coming second place. We lost the Colombian national team in the final, but just the experience as a whole was a great one. Uh, there's just a great camaraderie and playing guys from the Netherlands and Colombia, as I mentioned, who, who beat us in the final. It was just cool to have that multiple continental international experience in one competition because I hadn't had that beyond Pan Ams or North and South, but it's like be able to play guys from Europe and Asia, you know, and South America all in one competition. It was such a great experience. And beach handball is just something that I kept in the back of my mind. Um, I ultimately went overseas to Europe to try uh, to trial with a couple of clubs. In the summer of 2015, made the decision that indoor handball wasn't for me and I was going to leave handball as a whole. I moved back to Portland in the fall of 2015, was planning to go back to school and basically uh, Look at look at a life beyond handball. I said, "Hey, I had this international experience, played Pan American Championships, but I was thinking of moving on from handball." I'm home in Portland for three months, and then I get a phone call from my now national team head coach Michael Henson, saying that they're trying to revitalize the beach handball program, playing the Pan American Championships the following April, and we ultimately arranged for me to come down to Los Angeles for a weekend tryout. Came down. He said, you made it, you're on the team. And I was like, well, I was planning to go back to school. I was planning to like do things in, in Oregon. And the speech national team is based in LA. And fortunately, I had some family in LA. They're like, oh, if you're going to play for Team USA, like stay with us, don't worry about it. And so I had an accommodation. And I was like, all right, you know, let me just give this a couple of months, pre prepare with these guys, play in this competition. And you know, if it doesn't work out, move back to Portland. Uh, so February and March, uh, I had to stay in Oregon 
to deal with a couple of things through January 2016. February 2016, moved down to LA, trained with the guys February and March, flew down to Vargas, Venezuela, where the Pan American Championships were. Kind of shocked the world because we won and nobody expected us to win. And once we won that competition, we qualified for the World Championships in Hungary later that summer. And I was like, I can't leave these guys now. Like, we, we just won a Pan American Championship. It was the first continental title that USA Team Amble had won in 29 years. Like, it was this huge surprise to everyone. And went to Worlds. We didn't do too well, but got the opportunity to play in Brazil later that year. And I was leading scorer in our game against Brazil. And the in-house announcer, Maradona Marquez, dubbed me the American Ninja. And everything just exploded. From there, I got the opportunity to play in Australia, France, Czech Republic, play in China. Actually, the jersey I'm wearing right now is from my team that won the 2018 Chinese title. And just had all these opportunities that Beach Handball was was providing me uh, all across the globe. Uh, I had a couple of goals go viral and I was like, I'm kind of stuck in the game now. Like, I can't, I can't just leave just with everything that it seems to be providing for me. And you know, the past four years, I've played in 15 countries, give or take, uh, you know, through, through primarily beach handball. And I also played, uh, played touch rugby and played in the touch World Cup this past May in, not this past May, but 2019 in uh, Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. And it's just like all these things kind of rolled one after another and started developing an international profile. And I was like, I didn't really think I'd be playing this long, but the game kind of chose me and I, I can't really leave the game now just without everything it's provided for me. So that was kind of how I got uh, into beach handball was being on the indoor national team, got the opportunity to play in just the fun weekend tournament in, in Gulf Shores, Alabama. And that kind of got me hooked. And so when I got the opportunity to try out for the USA beach team, I had that experience in the back of my mind and thought beach handball was pretty cool. I was like, let me give this a shot. And it's been it's been a pretty cool shot. So, AB, I want to know, you've been to over 15 countries now for team handball. How have those experiences you've had on and off of the court shaped you as a person? And how have those experiences made you better as a handball player as well? That's a really good question. I think one of the things that I've learned and something that it first became apparent to me, my very first competition, which was the 2014 Pan American Championships, is that other people really aren't that bad. I think, I think when you only grow up in one environment or one side of the world and your understanding of the rest of the world just comes from the news, you, you lose sight with the fact that everybody's just human. Everybody's just trying to make the best of, of their situation wherever they are. One of the things I love about sport as a whole is the connective power that it has. You know, the t- some of the teammates I've played with aren't fluent in English. I've had teammates that I've played with where we verbally can't hold a conversation, but we're the best of friends because we have sport as this common language that brings us together. Uh, you know, in particular in 2018, uh, I was playing in uh, the Chinese championship and my team was 10 guys from eight different countries and we spoke three different primary languages. And so fortunately, you know, 2018, there's Google translate on phones, which helps a lot. But we, we all understood beach handball. When you have something that unites you, when you aren't united by the same spoken language, 
you, you realize that everyone's just human. Everyone's just trying to make the most out of their life and do the best they can wherever they are. And I think that's the biggest takeaway that my international career has provided me is that they're dope people all over the world. I think that's probably the biggest takeaway and something that continues to shape my perspective on the world is to try to focus on what you have in common with someone versus what you don't have in common with someone. And for you yourself personally, who's been your biggest supporter throughout your handball career? Someone that's inspired you to keep going even through the tough parts of handball where you might have thought to uh, give it up? Yeah. I mean, my number one supporter has been my mother uh, by far. Yeah, she, she was the one person who she didn't like. Initially, she didn't like handball and she didn't like me playing handball, but uh, now she's, she's loved and supported me unconditionally. And the first couple of years of my international career, she didn't really get to see me play. But the first time she saw me play was at the World Championships in Budapest. And she was like, oh, this is super fun. I want to come to all of your World Championships. And she got to see me play in, in Russia for the 2018 World Championships. She came out to Qatar to see me play in the World Beach Games. Uh, she couldn't make it for the, the World Cup that I played in in Malaysia this past May. But she's progressively become a fan of the, of the sport. And she's been my number one supporter by far. Definitely my mother advice would you give to um, up and coming athletes like yourself hoping to represent their country nationally and just advice in general? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I would say be a student of your craft. Uh, and when, when people think of sports and people think of the journey of sports, they think of you know, these very dramatic, hardworking stories. And I think what will ultimately separate you from the rest of the pack as an athlete is if you have the IQ side of things down. And that's with every facet of your career is you want to be a student of what you do. You want to have an understanding of the tactics of your game. You want to have an understanding of technique and mechanics that are involved with your sport and continue to push the envelope on that side of things. Um, obviously, the physical side is, is very important. Uh, but you want to address all the elements that are involved with being an athlete and continually work on all of them. So your individual skills, uh, your cognitive skills, as far as your ability to read and react to different opponents. If you play a sport that involves multiple people, um, yeah, your, your chemistry with your teammates, the, the tactical side of things, you know, your cardiovascular. I mean, there, there's so many elements involved to being an elite athlete. Just do what you can to make sure that you're constantly addressing all of them. And it's not just, um, you training your body. Uh, so be a student of your craft. I'd say it's probably kind of universal up and coming athlete advice. Yeah. That Thank you so much for being here. Uh, well, we really appreciate you for you coming on the show. Thank you once again. And my pleasure, Daniel, all the best. And of course we thank ABA for being on today's show. We really appreciate hearing from him. And also it makes it ever the more special saying he is a Team USA athlete. However, before we wrap up today's show, I want to touch on the MLB 60 game season. Of course, Joe and I touched on it a little bit, but the official schedule is now out. As for the Yankees, they start their season in the nation's capital against the defending Washington Nationals facing a tough Max Scherzer on the road. The Yanks do have a chance to win their 28th World Series this season, of course, Judge, Torres, and Stanton lead the pack. They have a strong team. But the biggest thing is for them, they played the Toronto Blue Jays 10 times in September. And I feel like it's really key for them to at least take that those games 7 out of 10. They visit Toronto 7 times, only playing in New York 3 times. And this Toronto team is young. They have guns, and they're ready to go. They want to make a playoff push. 
and the Yankees are going to make sure they can get past them so they can win the pennant eventually and hopefully win the World Series. As for the New York Mets, the Mets start out their season pretty tough, facing the Braves, Red Sox, the Braves once again, and then the Nationals in their first 12 games. We know the Mets like to start off hot and heavy and crush their opponents in the first 15, and it's going to be essential for them to win some of these crucial games because their, their playoff push starts from the first day they step on that field. So I think for the Mets to even make a wild card spot, they have to win at least seven or eight of these games if they want to see a playoff berth for the first time since 2016. And that does it for today's show. I hope you all enjoyed it. Make sure to hit me up on Instagram with any ideas you have for segments. And of course, I really appreciate all the support. So until next time, peace out.